Blinds.com makes it simple to shop top quality blinds, shades and interior shutters from home with easy online ordering, free shipping and a guaranteed fit, whether you DIY or have them installed for you. Go right now and see how much you can save at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Okay, here we go. Ben Winston is a sensational writer, producer, and director. He currently serves as the executive producer of the award-winning Late Late Show with James Corden. Ben is also the co-creator and executive producer of the Carpool Karaoke series for Apple Music and Drop the Mic for TBS. He's directed some of the biggest and most talked about music videos from the last five years, not to mention the record-breaking One Direction documentary, This Is Us. He will soon be taking over the reins as the executive producer for the Grammys in 2021 and directing the highly anticipated Friends Reunion Show. I am thrilled to have you here today, Ben. Welcome to the podcast. How the bloody hell are you, mate? Hey, man. Nice to see a very lovely intro. Thank you very much. It's very nice to be here. It's nice to see you doing this uh, this new role in your life. I like this look for you, podcast host. It's working. It's really you're looking good. Thank you, mate. To hear that from you is, yeah. as you can probably imagine, a huge compliment. And by the way, I could have read about another 418 uh, accolades that you've achieved in your career and 150 other shows that you've worked on. But I tried to narrow it down and, and, and pick what I or what related to me the most. But Ben, my God, the success that you have had and achieved in not a short period of time, but just over a period of time is so amazing to see and watch. And before we even get into this, I want to congratulate you on all of the success, mate. It's amazing. So let me ask you, mate, married, two children. We're yeah. going through a pandemic. How's this whole thing been for you? What's been going on? Tell me a little bit about it. Well, it's been a, it's been crazy, really, because the most important thing for me, of course, was. Well, well, when we locked down, we were two weeks away from shooting the Friends reunion. Uh, when the lockdown happened and of course the f- that had been something that I'd been uh, prepping on and working on for quite some time uh, plus of course we have the daily show on the Late Late Show with James Corden so we do that every day and it sort of happened really fast I uh, I remember it was like the uh, Thursday I think it was like the Wednesday morning and we were taping two shows that day for the Wednesday and the Thursday because we were double taping and we had Vin Diesel on we had Nar Horan on we had a really great show and I remember I woke up in the morning and the president of CBS Studios, David Staff, called me and he said, look, I really think you should think about next week not having audiences. Just think about not having audiences. And I sort of went, OK, I mean, that seems a bit far. But, you know, I had I was well read on the virus and, you know, I knew a lot about it, but I still thought not having an audience is a bit weird. But I we sort of thought, well, you know, what could we do? And we had different ideas. We thought, well, maybe if we're not allowed an audience, we'll go to the grip. But anyway, we thought it won't happen. That was at like 7 a.m. in the morning. I remember because I was I was sitting on the loo when he called and I actually remember him calling. Thinking, Should I answer this thing? I'm like, but yeah, it'd be fine. He won't know. <laughs> is there going to be an echo? Well, well, yeah, it's very rare. It's, well, it's sort of it's very rare that the president of the studio calls you at 7 a.m. So like you're a bit True. like, uh, hello. Um, and he was like, he said, think about it. What was incredible was that was the start of the day. And by the end of the day, it went to we're canceling the show altogether and no one's coming back in. Oh and it was amazing how fast that happened in that, like, suddenly we heard, oh, Colbert and Fallon aren't doing a show tomorrow. And then it was Ellen wasn't doing a show. And suddenly we were like, oh, well, 
we're also going down. And I remember the, the day started hearing maybe don't have an audience next week. And the day ended in me walking out with Rob, my co-EP, who we run the show together, saying to the team, guys, go home, stay home and uh, no show on Monday. Don't come back and, and let's just see where we are. So it happened very quick. As for the lockdown and that whole period, um, I moved into my basement, basically, which is just over there. And I would say goodbye to Ruby and Grace, my two kids. I'd kiss them goodbye at eight o'clock in the morning go down the stairs to the basement and I'd work there until seven o'clock at night and come back up. And they never knew I was down there because if they had known I was down there, then I'd never have got any work done. Um, but I think, look, when you run shows, obviously part of it is making a show great. The other part that you realize pretty quickly is you have a responsibility to your employees. And we have at Full Well 73, probably five, 600 people who work on our shows in the UK and the US. And the most important thing to all of us was just their safety, their well-being, the fact that they would still be paid, the fact that we would try and keep as many shows running as we could uh, to keep people in jobs. And that was a negotiation uh, for everything and everyone. But, um, you know, we tried our best. And, 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 and then it was just about getting back on air and doing a show from the garage. And that was a whole, well, that was a whole sort of nightmare, really, because that's never the show that James, I or Rob ever wanted to make, really. We didn't come out here to make a show with a guy talking down a lens in his garage or as you call it out here Crazy. in America garage. But, um, yeah, so it was, it was a complicated, it was a complicated time, both the stress levels of all of us trying to exist in this time, trying to make sure everybody was still employed and everyone still had money coming in and keeping our shows going, you know, whatever various shows we were editing over Skype and zoom and, and it was a tough time, but I, I feel like we're coming through it now. We're back in the studio and we're doing our best again. Crazy, crazy, man, to think about the deterioration of that phone call at 7 a.m. to what happened at the end of the day and now everything that's happened in between and how much we've all learned about ourselves. I mean, I've realized shit about myself I never knew about, um, but it's it's been a wild few months, that's for sure. And, and actually, I've seen on social media, you guys are now back in the studio. You're filming back in the studio. How has that been just kind of reacclimating back to a studio with no audience and no clapping? Is it? Yeah, well, Just we like redesigned the studio. So, so Lou Traby and Sam Scazzetti, our, our art team, were in during the summer. We, we have literally put the stage where the audience used to be. Everything is built for social distancing. We've created new entrances. Wow. Essentially, what we did is we said we don't want to come back to the same studio because then all you would see is empty seats. You'd just see an audience and you would yeah. recognize that stage and go, well, that's not the show that used to be. So we said at the beginning of our sort of summer break, we were like, when we come back, we want to come back in a studio that is designed for the times that we're living in. And that's what we're doing. We have a very small crew in there. It's like 20, 25 people, whereas usually it's, you know, 100 people in our offices. Now it's about sort of 20 and uh, everyone's still working on Zoom. And, the, and it's and it's a really fun show. It's different. It's very different. But I recommend people watch it, especially part one. James sits there and talks to the crew and the crew of the audience and he'll you know, wind up our head writers, Lauren and Ian, and he'll chat to Reggie and the band leader. And, and you know, last night he did a whole bit with the sound woman, Sue. And, and so it's we're, we're finding a new way of making the show. But yeah. ultimately, we've got an unbelievably talented host in James who has adapted really well to the situation. Um, but I'm really happy yeah. to be back. I'm back in my office every day. It helps you mentally that you've got somewhere to go and work. And then home is more somewhere where you are allowed to relax. Because the difficulty I felt is some people during lockdown, they read a book or they mm -hmm. or they learnt French or they, you know, I wasn't. I was in my basement working really hard. Yeah. And actually, there was no separation between fun 
rest and work because that was my yeah. work. So now I've, I, I'm sort of going to enjoy my weekends more because I'll be in my home and I enjoy being with. I don't know. It's 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 a much better scenario what we're in right now. I totally. What did get you it learn about yourself? You said you learned something geez. about yourself. What's the one thing you think you learned about yourself? That's a great question, and I can tell you straight away. I needed to slow down, appreciate the important things in my life, like my family, like my children, like sitting at a dinner table and eating dinner and not looking at my phone 300 yeah. times or scrolling so through Instagram 500 times. And, you know, when, when I first went into this pandemic, I thought, holy shit, I'm either going to end up getting divorced mm. or something great is going to come from it. And when I tell you it has brought me so much closer to my wife, to my children, to myself, um, I've been saying that the pandemic has truly done for me what I couldn't do for myself. And I've learned a lot. Um, but like you, I was working from home. I didn't have a basement to hide into, but I did have my children screaming, daddy, mommy. Uh, and after a while that gets, that gets difficult. But like you said, it's all about reacclimating to the new normal and mm. shifting gears. And, you know, that brings me to talking about how you started this entire show you, you you started this show with such a digital first approach with Corden I mean you were so experimental on YouTube and digital media platforms how has that mentally influenced your pandemic production style like have you had to shift That's the way you're producing the show yes we have we've really changed the show because so many of the bits that used to work on our show would never work now so right is this a time where people want to see James singing? Probably not. So you go, well, we, we don't want to do that because we don't want to seem insensitive. Is this a time where Spill Your Guts, which is one of our biggest bits, 16, 17 million people watch it online, which is when, you know, they ask people, it's basically truth or dare and you're eating, you know, a bull's penis or something. And we were thinking about that today because we're having a I guest maybe that. in next week. And James said really smartly, he said, yeah, but without an audience, that doesn't work because it's only like, putting it near your mouth and hearing that sound and then taking it away and then eating it and everyone screaming silence. It's just a guy eating a bull's penis. And so therefore like, we've yeah. had to, of course, change the way we make the show for sure. But ultimately, you know, you, you said about the digital age and, and, you know, making that show and reinventing the wheel. I, I don't know if it's so much that I think what we did is we came in and we looked at a slot that's in the middle of the night and we looked at that slot and we went, none of us want to make a show that airs, after midnight our egos are all too big like we are all big fans of our own work but even we can't stay up that late to watch our own show like we, mentally we couldn't cope with the fact that we we're in the middle of the night so therefore we had to look at our show in a different way and adding to that we're growing up in a society where your children i'm pretty sure when they want to watch a show unlike you and me when they when we were growing up they say daddy i want to watch x now so for my kid Ruby will go, I want to watch Peppa Pig, please. And I'll go, okay, here is Peppa Pig. In our day, if we wanted to watch our equivalent of Peppa Pig, it was like, well, you have to wait till Tuesday at four o'clock. That's when it's on, Tuesday, four o'clock. Schedules have gone now. Unless it's a sporting event or an award show or a live event or the news, schedules are irrelevant. Our kids aren't growing up with schedules. So therefore, they are going to be in no time, 30, 40, 50. They're going to be the main consumers. And so therefore, the television industry has changed. And so therefore, we looked at it and we thought, we're not making a show for 1230. We're not making a show that's on at 12.30. We're making a show that launches at 12.30. And with that subtle difference of word, what we basically had to do is embrace the digital age. And we had to say, right, our show launches at 12.30, but watch it whenever you like. Watch it at lunchtime. Watch it, 
you know, I don't look at Seth Meyers on the other channel as our opposition. I look at Ellen as our opposition or the Breakfast News as our opposition or a soap opera at 4 p.m. the next day. That's what we looked at. And so therefore, it's the same with the pandemic. We've got to look at our show and not go, are people staying up late? Are they going to bed earlier? I think the streamers have done very well during this pandemic because ultimately network TV sort of running out and new shows and, and they're not. So we have to make a show that still is relevant, noisy, and available to people whenever they want it, however they want it, whether that be through YouTube, Instagram, or some other new system that I don't even know about, but my digital team do. And, and so whenever we approach our shows, it's, it's trying to look at it in a way of what does the consumer want at that point? Um, I don't yeah, like calling them yeah. a consumer. That makes me sound too corporate, and I'm not. What does our audience want? And and uh, yeah. and that's what we try and do. And I absolutely love that. And you're so humble in the way that you respond. But you took a show that did air at 12.30 at night yeah. and had tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of people watching it throughout the world at all times of the day. And to me, that's genius. And listen, you and I have known each other since I was probably 13, right? We grew up around a lot of the same friends, a lot of the same circles, and I've watched you and kind of, I don't want to say obsessed, but I have been infatuated by your career since like really getting to know you properly out here. But you found so much success in your career and so many different areas of media. How did you get started? Because I started my career handing out newspapers through doors and I worked in a, a delicatessen putting stickers on apples. Like, I don't see that you did that. Like, what drew you into this field and how the hell did you get started in the TV media world? Well, I always knew what I wanted to do, which was a great head start because I think that a lot of people spend their teenage years thinking, I, I don't really need to know, I like, I quite like English, or I'm, I like science, or you know what, I want to work in a gym, or whatever it may be, or I'm into training, and they, but they don't really ever need to know what they want to do. I knew from a very young age that television excited me. Um, like, I would watch The Muppets, or Sesame Street, and I would love it, and I would obsess about it, but just as much as enjoying it, I would analyze, and it's weird to think about this now, but I felt I would always analyze why I enjoyed it. So I would think, oh, I, well, I like it because you know, that lighting looks good or that set really works or it's really exciting the way that they're all spread out like that. Or I feel like it's exciting because we're backstage and, you know, or we're seeing the front. And I would try and analyze it. And I was and I was quite um, I would I was very analytical about television from a young age. But what I would do is the truth of it is I would spend my summer holidays, my Easter break, my Christmas break. I would get work experience and I would hang around on sets and I would badger people until they gave me a work. I would make them very nice coffee. And I would try and get as much work experience as I could because that really, really made a big difference to me. And I, and it's really interesting. A lot of people, a lot of people often ask me like, you know, what's an executive producer do? Cause I always think that's quite a funny thing. And you're very sweet about the success. I don't see it that we've been that successful. I think we have the potential to be successful in the next 10 or 15 years. I look at it and I see holes in truth of like, how, you know, how can the late show be even bigger? How can it go on to do more? Like, you know, why don't we have a big drama on the TV? Why aren't we making like, you know, I think that I think if you ever stop and just go, oh, aren't you great? Or isn't this cool? Then I think you stop creating and stop making things better. And I think I'll never, you know, you said it's humble. I don't think it's humble. I think it's just like anyone who stops and just sits and congratulates themselves is never really going to achieve a huge amount, I don't think. And so and so it's more, I would say, probably about that. But um, people talk about being an EP and what is that job? And, and actually, I 
I actually link it back to the days that you asked me about, about how I got into TV. So, you know, I was the sort of kid that would spend their summer um, working at talk radio. And my only job would be to pick up the celebrities in the reception and go up in the elevator with them and small talk them and to deliver them to the studio. And I would learn how to like banter with a famous soccer player who was coming in or, you know, I would spend, um, I, I was one of those geeks. No, I wasn't geek. I was quite cool. But at 15, 14, 15 years old, my school had a jazz club in their theater on a Thursday night. I did the lighting for it. I, I became head of the lighting club at that. And, and I would look and I would light those jazz concerts on a Thursday night rather than going out with my mates. And I became, I really enjoyed that lighting club. Or during my gap year, I took a gap year before I went to university and I just really wanted to work. And I got a job unpaid, working for free in Bristol, which is three hours outside of London, away from my family. I was 18 and I was, I was leaving my family and going to work unpaid to sleep on a couch in a, in a spare room in this lovely lady's flat in Bristol for no money, just because for a show I'd never heard of because it was a brand new show. But I was like, it was a good experience. So any opportunity I ever got, any opportunity I ever got, I would try my best to take it and work hard. And when I had those opportunities, listen and learn and be as helpful as I could. And then it's funny because you fast forward to today and I'm sat at the Grammys and Bruno Mars lighting doesn't look good. And I'm like, why doesn't it look good? I was like, you know what? If we change that blue to like a purple and a gold, it will work. And suddenly we change it and you're like, wow, that's really cool. That really works. And then I go, well, how do, how do you like know that? And actually you didn't realize it at the time, but it's because when you were 14 or 15, you were playing with a load of lights in school and it registers or you're with Tom Cruise in a, in a plane, persuading him to jump out of a plane with James Corden and like interacting with him and trying to work out how to get the best out of that scene. And you go, well, that's quite cool that we were able to do that. And you go, yeah, but it's a bit like those days when I was at talk radio and I was 15 and I was in the elevator with all those soccer players and I would try and get the best out of them and try and, you know, influence the way their interview was going to go. And I learned how to do that then. Or I look at the life I have now and the partnership I have with my best mate out here, no, my best mate in life, but out here, and that's James Corden. And I think about that day I went to Bristol and I took that risk and I took that unpaid job. And when I was 18 and I was a, literally just getting people coffee for no money. And on my first day of that job, who do I run into? But a guy called James Corden, who's got a small part in that show. And he was one of the actors and I was a PA, a runner. And we forged this friendship. And it's all of those moments. And, you know, anyone who's listening who wants to work in the industry or is young people or whatever, I often say to them, you don't know when you're doing these things, what it will lead to. You don't know when you're joining the lighting club. You don't know when you're taking that free job in Bristol. You don't know when you're in the elevator with those celebrities going up at TalkSport. But if you listen and you have your ears open and you try and learn and you don't always know best, then you'll find yourselves in these situations and you'll make the right call doing the job that we do because of the experiences that we've had along the way. So powerful. I mean, dude, thank you for sharing that. I think if there's one thing I'm enjoying from recording podcasts right now is I get goosebumps every single episode because I get to learn from people like yourself. And by the way, I want to make note that we have a 23-year-old girl in the studio now who works at this agency because she knew I was interviewing you and she wants to learn. And so she's probably going to take something from today that's going to better her career in the future. So you speak such true words right now. When the world outside is as crazy and hectic as it is, what I'm truly starting to realize is that home is absolutely everything. And it's so easy and affordable to turn your home into even more of a sanctuary with Blinds.com. 
Blinds.com really do make it ridiculously simple to just go out and shop top quality blinds, shades and interior shutters from your house with this super easy online ordering and it has free shipping. The experts at Blinds.com truly understand that window treatments are just one of those household items that you don't think about, but they make a huge impact on the look and feel of your home. You don't need to do this big fancy renovation. By just simply changing out what's on the windows, you can literally change the way that the light comes into your home and it creates a totally different vibe. Go to blinds.com, take a quick look at all their options. They've got the faux wood blinds, the cellular and roller shades. They even do a really cool line of outdoor shades. And if you're nervous about trying them, there is really no reason to be. Blinds.com have helped millions of homeowners through the process. Plus they guarantee the perfect fit, whether you DIY or have them measure and install everything for you. Go right now and see how much you can save at blinds.com. And when you check out online, make sure you don't forget to tell them you heard about blinds.com from Positively Chaotic with yours truly, James Harris. Rules and restrictions may apply. Everything in my career, I always track back to something that happened in my childhood. And I think I probably had a pretty different childhood to you. I was very naughty. I was thinking when you said Bristol, I went to school there and got expelled from school there. But I'm sure I learned something from being expelled at school there that's going to help me be a better employee today, a better father today, a better husband today. And the reason you say you've done well, but you've still got so much room to grow is that you're a master at your craft. And the truth is we're always looking, I think at least, at ways we can grow. So that was an amazing uh, uh, response and I appreciate that. And when I was writing or working with the team here to think about what we should talk today about, it reminded me of when you and Corden first started the show. And I've shared this story with so many people over the years. I don't know if you even remember this. You guys took over for Craig Ferguson and there was a one month period where you guys had guest uh, hosts before James started. And one of those guest hosts was a friend of mine, Billy Gardell. And I came and I sat in the audience. And after the show, I came backstage to see you and James. And I'd never met James, but I remember walking down the hallways of your offices and you and James were in your office. And what I remember were two pale guys that looked like they were about to throw up full of nerves, anxious, anxiety, saying, holy shit, we're starting in one week and we haven't booked a single fucking guest. And I remember it very, very well, Ben. And then I remember day one, you guys came out. I think your first guest was Tom Hanks. James and you came up with this opening scene, which British people can do very well, which is take the piss out of themselves. And James proceeded to take the piss out of himself. And within the first 20 minutes of that show, and I have goosebumps again, and I am no TV critic, but I knew these guys were fucking here to stay and were about to kill it. And I think from that one episode, that whole show took off and you guys just blew up. And I want to know about the journey to that night. When I saw you both looking 
what I can only say was I'm well backstage, scrambling to get a guest booked to where you are today. In summary, like, tell me what the journey was to that night and the lead up. Well, and tell me you remember that story firstly. Well, I remember that you were there with uh, with 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 him. I do remember that you were there with. Uh, remind me the actor's name. Billy. Billy. That's right. Billy Gardell. I remember, I remember that you were Billy. Billy. And I also say, and you know, this is my memories of you because we didn't know each other well when we were younger. My wife knew you better than I ever knew you. But yeah. um, I, I always think, and I always say this about you when when because I, I always tell everybody they should use you. As you know, I always tell everybody use James Harris. Dump your realtor. Come and use my mate. <laughs> and, uh, love you but you were very kind to me when i arrived in la and we didn't know each other and i remember coming to see you at your offices because i needed a place to live this was before i'd moved out this is when i was coming to get my visa mm-hmm. and interview people and you were really kind and we went outside and you sort of said i'll look after you i'll show you where you need to go to you know and and, and, and you were so generous and considering we didn't know each other um and i wasn't renting a very expensive house at that time so therefore there was no, nothing in it for you um you were just delightful and, and that was really lovely I, I do i do remember the stress of leading up to our first show there's no question of it in uh, when i asked you what we were doing on this podcast i said what do i need to prepare and you said oh there's two questions that you that you always get asked and one of those questions was is there a moment in your life that changed your life or is there one moment you can define that changed your life that first episode um i think was probably professionally because you know in your life that you know the most significant moment is the moment you meet your wife or your child gets born or you get married or whatever but um professionally i think that 60 minutes of television i think for my life will always be before that 60 minutes of television and after that 60 minutes of television um because everything was stacked against us the headlines were who's james corden that was a that was literally i think that was in the washington post or the new york post there was a headline who is james corden and people were like, why are we getting an English guy? You know, people love late night out in America. It's so beloved. And people were like, why is it, why is it a white male, especially a white male from the UK, who we've never heard of? Um, there was a lot of talk, you know, why isn't it Chelsea Handler? Why isn't it Tina Fey? Why isn't it Amy Poehler? Truthfully, it probably, they probably tried all those three people and they said, no, no we'd never do the show in 1230 at night. So they probably turned it down. But, um, but yes, that was a very stressful time because we arrived into, I just produced a show in England called The X Factor and it finished at Christmas and James had just done a play, I think. He'd just been in a play and he had finished at Christmas and we both moved out January the 1st and the show started on March the 23rd. So we had two and a half months to employ a hundred people, build a set, come up with ideas because once you start that show, once you do that first hour, you're not building towards one hour. You're building towards 200 hours a year. So because as soon as that hour finishes, you're on again in 23 hours. So like you're not like now I've got a few one offs. You know, we talk about the Friends reunion or whatever. I've got a lot of plans, but it's for one bespoke one off thing. This was, you know, every day. So we worked really hard in that two and a half months. And I have to give credit. And I'm not just, you know, I know oh, credit to the team. I really mean it. We one of the smartest things we did was who we employed. But yes, that night was was yeah. was everything because it was meticulous. We felt like I felt that night like a sports coach who had every play worked out for that one night. Every lighting cue, every sound cue, every noise from the band, every sketch, every and in that night we put out a massive sketch about James training to be a late night host. It was self-deprecating mm-hmm. because Essentially, it was saying he won a golden ticket, and that's the only reason he was there. It was like a Willy Wonka Charlie in the Chocolate Factory spoof in that he won a ticket, and it shouldn't have been him. Chelsea, We got Chelsea Handler, who was tipped for the job, to buy the chocolate bar, drop it, 
James walks into frame, goes, excuse me, you've dropped, and then opens it, and he's won the golden ticket to be the host. Jay Leno then coaches him. Alison Janney was in it. Meryl Streep was in it. We had this amazing sketch. Then we had Tom Hanks come on, and he reenacted his entire film career, which was, you know, Tom Hanks is an utter hero. Utter hero, and I had to get on a phone call with him, which was one of the most out-of-body experiences, where I pitched him that idea and talked him through it. And I'll never forget what he said. I said, look, we want to do... We want James and you act out your entire film career in five minutes. And I remember the one thing he said is he listened to me and he said, I like the idea. The only the only thing we've got to do is we've got to include my bad ones, not just my good ones. I don't want just the hits. I want the misses in there, too. I remember that we had uh, we had an amazing monologue where James, you know, got very tearful and emotional and dedicated this to his parents who were in the audience. But yet at the same time, it was really funny. You know, I remember there was a great joke, you know, because his mum. His mum is as a very British mumsy mum. And he said, you know, my yeah. mum and dad are here. They're loving it. They're already loving it being out in L.A. Mum got a boobs job. Mum's got a boobs done yesterday. <laughs> it was just immediately very British and funny. And then we had a really yeah, good. Yeah. Um, oh, I've dropped my AirPod. And then we had a really good chat segment with Mila, Mila Kunis and, and Tom Hanks. And then we ended it with James singing a really beautiful song at the piano, um, talking about how this was an amazing night for him and it will change his life. And maybe you'll be good enough to join us tomorrow. And at the end of that 60 minutes, like it went out. And I remember I waited, I stayed in my office on my own. We finished taping it and then we cut it. And then everyone else left about nine o'clock. And I stayed in my office, I shut the door. Didn't, I wanted to be on my own. I'll never forget that night. I waited and I watched it go out in New York because I get the New York feel. And then I spent all night, those three hours on Twitter. Then I watched it go out live in LA. And then I watched it all on Twitter, all the responses and waited for the reviews to come in. And I sat in my office on my own. It was about Television City at CBS. I was there till about maybe three o'clock, 3.30 in the morning, maybe four. And I'd read everything and I'd thought about, sorry, there's a helicopter overhead. I I chose to go outside. I don't want that helicopter fucking up the rest of this story. Yes, 3.30 in the morning. so I sat there and until about four in the morning, I read everything. I wrote a few emails to a few people. And uh, I remember just breathing this sigh of relief that everything was going to be okay. And then I went home, got into a, we were living in that beautiful apartment up in Brentwood at the time. And I woke up and I got into bed. It was about 5 a.m. And I got into bed and I woke up Meredith, my wife. And she went, she went, is everything okay? She, I, remember, I remember her face. She looked at me, she went, is it, how is everything? Is everything okay? And I went, yeah, everything's really good. We're going to be okay. And she went, yeah, we're going to, and she went, yeah, we're going to be okay. And she gave me a big hug and we, you know, hugged and, and it was a very beautiful moment. And it was a very, very significant moment in, in our lives in truth. And then I probably shut my eyes for about an hour and then 6.30, the alarm went off and I was back at the office by 7.30 and we were there for show two. And it was Will Ferrell and Kevin Hart, or it was whoever it was. And, and, and that was significant, not just because it was a great show, not just because it had been received so well, but because the domino effect. Suddenly, it wasn't so hard to book guests. Suddenly, Will Ferrell confirmed for Thursday, and then the following week, Mariah Carey confirms. And then suddenly, it's like, oh, that show, because people were nervous about it. We, they'd never heard of us as producers. They'd never heard of James. British people to them were, you know, nasty, like Piers Morgan and Simon Cowell. Are they going to be not? Is James going to be a nasty host? They wanted to watch it first. And then they saw who he was, this unbelievable talent. 
and the advantage we had. Sorry, I'm going on a bit. I apologize. No, I'm loving it. Keep going. The advantage that we had was when you see somebody new, it's they're a beginner, right? When somebody new comes on the TV, they're a beginner. They've never done it, which means they're not amazing. There's potential there in a host, but they're not amazing because they're a beginner. James, in everybody's eyes, was a beginner because in America, they didn't recognize him. So because they didn't recognize him, they thought, well, you know, he'll be fine or whatever. But he's done his 10,000 hours. He's presented shows. He's presented shows in the UK. He's won awards on Broadway. He's written sitcoms. He's been in movies. He's a megastar in the UK. And of course, in America, they didn't know that. So suddenly there was this megastar who could sing and could dance and could talk and was interesting and interested. And he could dance and everything. And everyone was like, oh, my God, this beginner's amazing. And, of course, we knew the secret was that he wasn't. And he was far from a beginner. He's been doing mm-hmm, this since he was mm-hmm. 14. And, uh, Love it. and so, therefore, we, we, yeah, we really enjoyed those first couple of weeks. But there was no time really to sit and enjoy it. It's like you said to me when right. you read out those credits. If, you, if we'd sat and gone, oh, what a great premiere. Then, like, you know, who's, we wouldn't have succeeded. And, and we, we didn't take our foot off the gas, you know. Show one was the show I described. Show two, we did Carpool Karaoke with Mariah Carey. Show three, we did a big sketch with David Beckham and when James in his pants. Show four, we changed it up and we went we did, went bold. And the show started on the street. And James said, hello, my name's James Corden. I'm walking around America and people still don't know who I am. So rather than doing the show tonight from the studio, I'm going to do it from somebody's house. I've just got no idea who's. And we went around. We had Jeff Goldblum and Beck parked in a car nearby. And James walked into this guy's house. We'd never met him in our lives. His name was Tommy. We walked in. We did a monologue in his front room. We brought all the guests out. We had an anima handler. We had a guy bringing an alligator and a snake. And we did the whole show from Tommy's living room. And before we knew it, it was our fourth ever show. Hashtag Tommy's house was like the number one trend worldwide. So we just went for it. We were like, we had nothing to lose. We, we could have failed and it would have been okay. We would have gone back to the UK. We would have had decent careers there. And so therefore we just... We worked with freedom. We worked with creative freedom. We had an amazing team that pulled it off. But there was, in a way, no pressure. Like We were white when you saw us. We were. But actually, what we didn't realize was we were making decisions with freedom because actually, like, we either needed to be incredible or not bother at all. Because right. everything there was, was no middle ground. I don't yep. think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. Not at that time. I think everyone had just been like, why is that on? So we, we, we were up against it. And we, and we wrote, we wrote heroes to that occasion he's the thing he's the genius he really no, did we no we ben. yeah yeah, we, but my job, yeah, but, yeah but my job and is, your team for sure but like the job is like a good ep a good television producer or a director is to go how can i support what is on that screen how can i make that person have all the tools he needs and actually late late show has always just been about creating a playground for a person who i think is a genius to operate and i've just got to make sure that everything is there for him all the things are in place so that he doesn't need to worry about it and he sits down on that chair sits behind that desk and the world is his oyster and, and he can, and he can showcase what he can do love that and let me ask you the big question how many shows have you recorded tonight as of tonight how um, many shows tonight's show will be episode 800 maybe seven i think we're up to seven seven, 790 maybe 790 but yeah. absolutely amazing how do you take or how do you approach the creative risk whilst working for these big conglomerates like cbs you're working for a corporate television company how do you get them 
to step outside of their comfort zones with these kind of crazy ideas that turn into these viral sensations? Well, it's not it's not a difficult thing because CBS have been an incredible partner to us and they leave us to yeah. make our hour show every night. And the difference is we're make, we spoke earlier about schedules and digital world. Carpool dropped the mic. They came out of the fact that, that if I'd been making this show 25 years ago, Mm-hmm. When I got up the next morning, the first thing I would do is check our rating from last night. Now I don't check our rating. I check our YouTube numbers because that shows us who's actually watching, who's watching stuff and what they're enjoying. So with something like Carpool, mm-hmm. it was our second show and we did it with Mariah Carey and it was 14 million views in five days or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's now grown. I think, you know, Paul McCartney's on like 150 views. Adele's on 200 million views. So people look at that and they go, oh, when I walk it. So then I go, well, let's spin that off and make a show. So I went to Apple. James and I met with Jimmy Iovine and Eddie Q. And we sat with him. We said, look, we think we've got a really good idea for carpool karaoke without James, but different pairings. And everybody can watch it. If they've got an iPhone, it's free for everybody. And, you know, Matthew McConaughey and Snoop did one. Maya Rudolph and Haim did one. You know, um, the cast of Game of Thrones did one. And it's a really fun show. And we went to Apple and we went, here are the numbers that show people love carpool let's do a show it was saying with drop the mic jensen carp is an amazing um jensen carp's an amazing uh, writer and producer and rapper actually and he came to me with this idea for drop the mic to do on the late late show um and we did it on the late late show uh, we co-wrote it with eliza skinner who is an amazing writer and she she actually became head writer of of uh, of drop the mic and we made this series and of course it had done well on youtube We'd shown it. So when we walked into Turner and we pitched it to TBS and Kevin Riley over there, we said, look, here are the numbers. It's got five million hits. It's got six million hits. And this could be a spin-off show. And they went, great. And we went and we made 30, 40 episodes for them. Uh, that was a tougher show to make because trying to persuade people to rap and also get abuse from the person that they're rapping against was a hard, hard show. <laughs> so I'm surprised we managed to make 30 episodes of that. But we did. So it's less about like persuading CBS of what we're doing. CBS, you know, supported us. They like our show. I think they enjoy it. They, they leave us to it on the whole. And then, you know, a, a something will go viral and then we'll be like, well, let's spin that off onto a show. It's, it's, it's no more complicated than that in truth. Love it. For those of you who don't know, I did a segment on The Late Late yeah, Show with James Corden. Break. You were great. Which was Awesome. And I still go to YouTube. I'm not going to lie and look at the ratings. How, how many, <laughs> We're how five many, and a half million. Yeah, that was one five of my and a half million, which that's one of my favorites. Oh, I loved it. And I was really proud of that rating until you told me what Paul McCartney just got. Yeah, Fucking but you're Paul not. McCartney, you, mate, I, I know you've got a new podcast, but you're not Paul McCartney. You're not. A <laughs> Who knows? You haven't heard me sing. But no, it's uh, I mean, I, I tell people that I meet that. You know, between you coming up with the creative, the way Corden showed up and James and I became business partners for the day and it's called Take a Break. The idea of it, so people understand, the idea of it is we had this idea, Lauren Greenberg, one of the writers on the show, had this idea that James would just go and fill in at people's jobs. It was called Take a Break. So he'd go and work as a waiter. He'd go and work as a uh, dog groomer. He's gone and worked in a shop. And it's always fun because he interacts with people brilliantly. And you and I got to know each other really well when I was out here. And you were on the show, Million Dollar Listing, which I love. And so we said, well, why don't we go and do it with you? And uh, James becomes your partner for the day. And it, and, and it was great, right? 
Oh, absolutely brilliant. But he's genius. I mean, he had tiger wrapping. He jumped in a pool naked. He got in the shower. I mean, but the guy just, he comes up with it. Anyway, that was brilliant. And then shifting gears totally, how is the Friends reunion show coming along? Because I know that's something you were working on. Is it on hold now because of the pandemic? You said you were starting it and then it kind of paused. But where are you at? That's a crazy milestone, surely. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've learned in my short time working on the friends reunion to never speak about it because anything I ever say ends up in an article because people are so obsessed with talking oh, about enough. it. No, no, it's fun. I'm just being honest. It's really funny. Like I mentioned something to somebody the other week I was on a call and suddenly you see yourself quoted in variety. Um, we're making it. We don't know when we, uh, we did, we were very, you know, we were honest. We, we did have a date that we were going to look at doing in August. Um, but as it got closer, we all sort of felt like now maybe wouldn't be the time with the numbers rising in California. Um, yeah, but look, we're determined to make that show so amazing. Uh, so I think we will find the right time for it. And, uh, and I, I really hope that people enjoy it on HBO max. And in the meantime, they can watch all the friends episodes that are on there. I don't know. It's a, I, I hope we get to do that soon, but, but we're ready when the world goes back to slightly more normality. It's different with the late, late show. There's 150 people who work on that show. Their livelihoods rely on us being on air. And also there's an audience that watch our show either every night or on YouTube the next day around the world. I think we're in like 150 territories of that show. And so therefore there's a responsibility to get back on air and change your show because of COVID-19. You can't wait for this virus Mm -hmm. to go away. We're a daily show. Whereas with stuff like the Friends Reunion, you know, you only get one shot at doing that. So it's got to be right. So it's, it's probably worth just waiting a little bit and, and seeing how things are in the next couple of months. 100%. And with everything we've spoken about, I have to ask you, how the fuck do you balance your life? Like you're working on so many projects. You've got to navigate through personal relationships. You have a wife, you have two beautiful children. Like where do you find balance? And I say it to you when you and I speak on the phone, like there's 24 hours in a day. How do you find balance? Um, some days I find balance and, I, and I'm really happy doing a million things. Other days it does feel tough. Um, I've got really brilliant teams on each project. But yeah, look, you know, I'm not going to. This morning I woke at 3.45 and didn't get back to sleep. You know, I was, ner- I was worried about the Grammys. I've got an issue on the Grammys at the moment. And, you know, trying to pull off a Grammys in the coronavirus world is really troubling me. Because, you know, it's my first year doing it and I want it to be great. And it's like every way I turn, you sort of account, you know, you find problems, but real problems, health problems, risks that you can't take. And uh, so, yeah, I woke up at 3.45 and my brain was just too noisy. I couldn't go back to sleep. So I, I got up at five and I just went and sat in the garden and wrote down a list of some of the ways I could maybe solve some of those problems. And it helped just to get out of bed because uh, my brain was just going overdrive. Um that doesn't happen very often. It happens more with the Grammys than any other show, I think, interestingly. because what, what, what do you do with the Grammys, by the way? That's a great That's point. I didn't even, that was like, how do you do the Grammys during a fucking pandemic? Excuse my language. I don't know. I'm working that out. I have an idea. I have a really good idea that I'm really excited about. And I'm very passionate about trying to pull off this idea because I think it will be really cool. But, I also know how difficult that idea will be to pull off. And that's sort of what's keeping me awake a little bit at night. But I try and do, you know, I've got a whiteboard on my desk and I write up all of the things that I've got to deal with every day on every show. 
And so there's a section for each show and a list of things I need to do. And I think that really helps me compartmentalize it. And uh, and like I say, I've got a really good person on each one of those shows. So some of the mm. shows I need to be involved in every little thing. Like the Friends Reunion is, and, and Grammys are two things where I'm involved in every intricate detail. But there'll be another show that, you know, that we just made a show called Game On for CBS, which is a great show. And I'm involved in the edits. Yeah. And I'm, in, but I'm, I don't need to sit through, I don't need to sit in the edit for 24 hours a day. I've got, you know, Emma and Rich who make that show and Sean and, and I'll pop in at the end of the day and I'll watch it for, they'll know they've got me for 35 minutes and everything's diarized by the half hour. And, and I'll walk into that door and I'll, you know, or that chat room, depending on where I am, if I'm, and, and I'll just try and focus on that specific show at that moment. And you just try your best to focus as best as you can on what is in front of you at that moment. But you never know what you're... Thank God you don't have ADD like me. You never know what you're... (laughs) You'd be really fucked. Well, I don't know, yeah. (laughs) But listen, I think it's the one... On the one hand, I I sometimes go, oh, I wish I could just do the Late Late Show and nothing else. And then I could, you know, at the end of the day, I'd go home, I'd switch off. I wouldn't need to check my emails. I could... Summer holidays, those five weeks that we get off, I could just turn off and do nothing else. Because when we get back from a late, late show break and all my colleagues go, Hey, what did you do on your five weeks stuff? I said, what did I do? I haven't left this desk. I've worked harder. We've done this. We've done that. The other, the other. but then on the other hand, it's, I love it. I absolutely love it. I wouldn't change it for the world. Nothing gives me a, a bigger buzz than somebody enjoying our show or watching something or sharing a piece of content or talking about a show that we've made or, you know, I, I love it. And so therefore I don't complain about it. I feel incredibly lucky and maybe, Part of the reason I fill the days with so many different shows is because we have the opportunity to do so. And, and actually, in a year's time, maybe no, no one will want to buy shows from me. And so, therefore, now's the time to work really hard. And then hopefully I can enjoy time off in the future. I love it. Well, mate, I know your time is precious and I don't want to keep you. So we're going to wrap up the interview. At the end of every episode, we close it out with something called Chaotic Questions with James. Ben, are you ready? Oh, I can't wait. I'm ready. Here we go. Seatbelt in. Here we go. Seatbelt in. What room, and I already know the answer to this, what room in your house do you spend the most time in? During quarantine or usually? Quarantine. The basement. I hide in the basement, do my work. The house that, by the way, you, the house that we found together. Yep, and I love that house. And by the way, your background is beautiful. See, the trees have grown, which is nice. It looks gorgeous. Okay, what are you currently learning? How to make television shows with coronavirus. Bloody right. And what motivates you today, Ben? The fear of failure. We share the same, the same thing. And, and, and my favorite question, which is what piece of advice would you give to your younger self? The work that you're, all the stuff that you're doing for free is worth it. It's worth it. Because you, you don't know now. You don't know now why that will benefit you in the future, but I promise you it will. And the second thing I would say is have slightly more fun. Have slightly more fun. Take up smoking and drinking. Just not, not excessively, but like smoke weed occasionally. Because what I realized was I was a really good boy. Unlike you, I was a really good boy. And, uh, and then I sort of, I never really misbehaved. I was so good. I was, you know... I was far too good. And then I got to, I got to like, and same with uni even really, I like studied and I worked and I was like, I want to work in TV. I want to make films. I want to, you know, it was all about that. And then suddenly I got here and I've got it and I'm making it and I'm like, oh, I've missed out on the rascal bit. I want to be, 
I, and now I can't be smoking, drinking and take, you know, I, I missed out a little bit on that rebellious phase. And I think I will tell myself to relax a little bit. Don't rebel too much because part of the reason I was so straight has helped me be who I am today, I think. But I wouldn't I would have liked to have had a little bit more fun. Um, and that's what I would tell myself not to worry about that, not to worry about have that little bit of fun. Because at the time, it, yeah, I probably was too well behaved, which is quite a pathetic thing to say that I was too well behaved. But I cannot thank you enough, mate, for being a guest on the podcast, Ben. I know you're not huge into it, but where can people follow you? Stay up to date with everything you're doing. Where can people follow you, That's mate? That's very sweet. Uh, I'm on Twitter, but I rarely tweet. Ben Winston is my at name, although I don't enjoy Twitter anymore. I do like Instagram. I'm at Mr. Ben Winston on Instagram. And uh, if I could recommend one television show that we've just made that will blow your mind, and that is on CBS Please. All Access. We've got a new show that's just launched there. Uh, on CBS All Access it's called The Thomas John Experience and it's about a man who talks to the dead and I know that sounds insane but I met this guy we've made a show with him the show blows my mind even though I've made it I still don't understand how it's made it's not magic it's nothing like that there's no tricks everything you see is real I can wow. guarantee you on that that it is experience the thomas john project that is that is that is where you can find our latest work and it's really worth checking out on cbs all access that's my only plug i'll do today but i'll do that plug one thousand percent and i'm gonna hundred percent thank you i will be watching that sounds scary and amazing all at the same time so thank you we'll watch that and i'm gonna wrap it up here and say to everybody watching hit the subscribe button on youtube and if you're listening please leave a review on apple Podcasts. Sub subscribe and listen anywhere you get your podcasts tell your friends your neighbors and anyone who would enjoy the positively chaotic podcast thank you for listening Blinds.com makes it simple to shop top quality blinds, shades and interior shutters from home with easy online ordering, free shipping and a guaranteed fit, whether you DIY or have them installed for you. Go right now and see how much you can save at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.